When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's up, family? Your boy Dave with BWR here. Wanted to let y'all know about what we have going on April 21st. We're doing the Renaissance Mixer again. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back. Uh, last year, we tried to do this and COVID shut us down, but we're bringing the party back. Having the Renaissance Mixer here in Dallas, we're partnering up with CK Creative Studio, a luxury Black-owned co-working space out here in the Design District to bring together entrepreneurs and professionals from all across the DFW, get us together in one room so we can start making these business connections and much more. We're going to have live music, drinks, food, and much, much more. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Tickets are only $5 for the time being, $5. So y'all make sure to hurry up, sign up. Uh, we'll see y'all there. Wednesday, April 21st at 7 p.m. CK Creative Studios. The Renaissance Mixer. It's up, baby. Peace. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcasters Playbook. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You shouldn't even be 
I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. This is another great episode. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jalen. Um, and I'm just ready, rocking in this Saturday, feeling good, feeling great. What's up, Jared? How you doing over there, my brother, my other co-host for the day? What's good? What's good? What's good? It's your boy, Jared, checking in. Man, I'm chilling today, bro. I'm real happy, man. Ready to get into this episode. We was talking a little bit off camera with our next guest, and he got a lot of gems that I think that people are going to really appreciate. So I'm ready to just, you know, jump into this episode. Let's get it, man. Hell yeah, man. And now that you said it, man. And I'm pretty sure y'all might have seen some of his tweets on our page because I know we've reused it. And he's just out here really blessing people with some of the financial knowledge that he got. And uh, his name on Twitter is The Financial Philosopher. And I was just like, that shit's hard, man. <laughs> like, that name is hard as shit. But yeah, was my a... brother, Adrian Buchanan, hailing out of VA, now living in the DMV, man. I just want to say thank you coming on to the show everybody welcome adrian no doubt no doubt uh appreciate y'all for having me you know what i'm saying i appreciate the intro too, dropping gems and all that i try as, as best as i can but yeah i'm looking forward to getting into it too with y'all hey appreciate it appreciate it man and we was just talking off camera man and we'll just jump right on into it bro because you really got me fired up man and i just want to talk about like your story how did you become the financial philosopher what was your start? Where were you doing and what kind of led to that? Yeah, no doubt. So you know, I come from a blue collar background. My mom, she worked office jobs, but she was always like assistant or whatever. My dad, mechanic and different things. So I was first generation college student and I went to Virginia Tech with intentions of architecture. And the program is so hard. Like at the time, that program was like number one in the nation. So it was real real hard to get into. And it was like a five or six year program. So when I was thinking about it. I was like, nah, I don't know if I really want to do that. So there was a black professor, Dr. Wood. She ended up changing my life for real. Her mission was to get more black CPAs. So she basically recruited me. She kind of knew I didn't really have a major at the time. So she was like, you should do accounting. So boom, 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 long story short, accounting degree. And then I moved out to D.C. area and I was working for a government contractor for and that was what, six, seven years, I think. So I learned a lot. It was a really small company, only 15 employees ish. So, you know, I had my hands in everything. Like I told you, all you know, everything comes through the money, no matter what the operation is, no matter what's going on in the company, the accountants see it. So it was really good experience. And it was double good because it was such a small company they relied on me for important things it wasn't just like oh we need you know this this little random spreadsheet done and we need a 
data entry somebody to do it. It was serious stuff. It was me doing budgets for millions of dollars and handling multi-million dollars and making million dollar decisions for real. But the pay wasn't matching. I kept telling them like, my girl was real good about it because she basically on her career coaching stuff was like, yo, you got to be your own advocate. You got to go hard. You got to tell them you want this. Boom, boom, boom. So I would tell them I was having arguments one day. I, man, I closed the door with my manager and just snapped. Like, yo, I know what y'all are paying people. I see their paychecks. You know what I'm saying? And I know also what they do. And I know what I do. And it ain't matching up. And I was going in, right? Uh, but they wouldn't bring the bread to the table. So I started... It was, I think I was like 28, 29. I saw an ad late night. I was already having these thoughts of like, yo, I got to get out of here. I got to start my own thing. Something got to give. And then randomly at like 2.30 in the morning, I'm watching TV and this ad for, uh, well, actually, fast forward to that. Let me rewind a little bit. I got into Bitcoin and investing before that, right? So I started to buy stocks before I got into Bitcoin. But not really like I knew what I was doing. I kind of just, I kept trying different money avenues, like gambling and different things and nothing was working. You know how that go. So I was like, all right, let me try this uh, investment thing. Robinhood was popping at the time. So I downloaded it, got some Microsoft. I spent like a thousand or two for my first purchase. And then the funny story about the whole Bitcoin thing is I knew enough about Bitcoin to know where to get it and how to buy it and all of that because of a friend. But I really only bought Bitcoin because I was trying to send it to a sports gambling site, like straight up. One of them sketchy, like .eu things or whatever. Yeah. They wouldn't take my cards. So I was like, all right, they take Bitcoin. Let me go get this. I'll send it in. This was right, like, pre-mania. I'm talking about capitalized pre, like right before the whole bubble started to inflate. So, I mean, I got in there around 8000 a coin, I want to say. The next thing I know, it's at like 12 It's at 13 It's at 15 so then I hold that because at that point, I'm like, that is the gamble. I don't need to worry about the NFL no more. Like, I'm rocking with Bitcoin now. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. So then I got real aggressive. I was a rookie investor. I didn't know what I was doing. I was buying at 15000 I was buying at 16, 17, and obviously not buying whole coins. Like I wasn't throwing 17000 at a time, but I was buying significant amounts as that joint was going up and... Yeah, I got burned. I got burned bad. But through that, I kind of learned the investor mindset and it just changed my whole outlook on finances and net worth and all that. I started to see the power of assets just in that quick, what, two, three, four months or whatever that I had it and it bloomed. I was like, damn, so this is the game. This is how 
and basically my mindset was like, all right, this is how the white people have been getting rich this whole time. So I was like, all right, let's do that. And then in that same time, I started going active on the Twitter with the entrepreneurs and following certain people, started getting my entrepreneur buzz going. So yeah, back to the tackle joint. I'm already investing. My mindset's already going. I see this commercial for tackle late night. They're talking about, hey, you want to pick up some extra money? Download the app and you can do random jobs. So I'm a really clean person. I'm good at cleaning. I always have been. I was like the roommate that cleaned in college. I was the roommate that cleaned post-college. Like, so I knew I was good at cleaning. And I was like, maybe I can make some money off of that. So I started doing cleaning jobs off of tackle. Same time, my homies was doing moving jobs through this one lead platform. So then they was telling me about the moving game and how the money they was making. And they told me about a different lead platform and it was uh, thumbtack.com. So from there, I mean, it just kind of, everything was different from there. It was, the rest was history. I uh, started paying for hella leads for the moving and the cleaning. And I had a team too at this point, you know, I wasn't doing everything myself. So doing the moving, doing the cleaning, it transitioned into move out cleans where the moving customers would need cleans. So it was a good synergy going. And then more and more people was asking me, do I do carpet cleaning? I was saying no at first. And then eventually I was just like, yeah, let's do it. So started to do the carpet cleanings too. So then I was doing move cleans, carpet cleanings, had a small team. Yeah. And I'm investing heavy at the same time. So you know, it was like a renaissance of my life at the time. Everything was just spiraling into like a whole financial growth mindset. And yeah, I mean, and, and the rest is history. I've been into now. I'm doing day trading with the options. Like my girl and I, we got a couple properties, Airbnb super hosts, selling financial services, doing like one-on-one calls, helping people. You know, obviously everybody got the gum road going. So I got that going. Yeah. So now, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be as much of a serial entrepreneur as possible and just taking life about wherever the paths take me i'm there for the risk straight up that story bro like you got a lot of gems in there that you touched on i know we talked about some of them off topic and i think one of the first things that i kind of want to go into is just you being that business owner with like the moving and the cleaning part yeah yeah really just like the risk that it takes to be a business owner I remember you said, you know, you had to you had to personally take the heat for some of the other people who messed up with that. And oh, yeah. I just want to speak to that. The mindset that you have to have whenever you're saying, OK, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, but I'm also going to have a team under. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what really comes to mind is humble. Right. Because you got to especially when you starting out and you don't have the leverage points. Right. You don't have reviews. You don't have word of mouth. You don't really have pictures, maybe. You don't know what you're doing, <laughs> right? Straight up. So you don't have the leverage to be out here with an attitude and demanding different things and all that. So humility comes to mind because there's a lot of situations where I, I was entering the unknown, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And there was a lot of situations, whether it's with my with my team or with a customer, where I had just never been in that situation. And there was so many times where I could have fought back, got an attitude, went at them, you know what I mean? And stood my ground, so to speak. But my mindset was always, my business is bigger than this person. You know what I mean? Like, 
I'm gonna let this person have his day. You know, he's gonna be mad. He or she gonna be mad. And it ain't like I'm trying to say I was out here screwing up all the time, but there was definitely incidents, right? So I just had to deal with those things and know how to, because like when I'm an employee for somebody else, I could get an attitude and not really worry about the repercussions, so to speak. You know what I mean? I got to talk to my manager, but everything's okay after that. But when it's my business, they leave a zero one-star review. I might not get those jobs next week that were going to come. So I was always just thinking the bigger picture and not trying to get bogged down by the day-to-day. And even with what I was doing, because I was doing moves and cleans, right? Like, it's not pretty. And that's coming from an office job. So that's coming from corporate world to now straight labor. You know what I mean? So my mindset really was just locked in and bigger picture all the time. Even when I was doing this job that I maybe didn't want to do that day. And I was like, man, you know, two months ago, I was sitting in the office. Like, what am I doing right now? I just kept thinking like, all right, but I own this. You know what I mean? This is mine. One day, it's all going to be worth it. One day, it's all going to be worth it. I just kept telling myself that. And yeah, I mean, and I think that's the mindset you got to have when you're starting out. Because it's just, you got to be willing to accept the ugly straight up. And that's not like saying that I was losing money and that I was out here stressing and everything. It was just every day was something new. Straight up, every day was something new. I went from a life where Monday through Friday was the same thing every week. I knew what to expect. I knew what was going on. And then Saturday and Sunday, same routine. I would, you know, watch football. I would chill with the homies. I would be with my girl. So I went from that structure to just every day was something new. And I mean, and I loved it at the same time as while it was a bit of a struggle, I still loved it. And that also let me know, keep going. That let me know I was on the right path because I felt like I was in a lot of situations where other people would have just quit and been like, all right, man, I got this accounting degree. Let me stop playing with y'all. But my mindset was just always bigger picture. Like, it's all good. Like, I was kept telling myself one day I'm going to have of this huge moving company. And like, if I wanted to right now, I still probably could go down that path. But like I was telling y'all, you know, I'm to the point now where I can more pick and choose what I want to do. So I don't need to be breaking my back because we got a Airbnb that's covering the mortgage and different things like that. So my back ain't up against the wall like it used to be. But, you know, it back has to be up against the wall when you start. That's just a part of it. Hey, man. I love it. You just touched on some part. And <laughs> I like how you said, you know, my business is bigger than this small issue or whatever is going on with this certain customer. And right. I know that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, whenever they first starting off, they do have that arrogance sometimes towards them. Like, oh, I don't need your business. I don't need you. You could go on or whatever. While it is important to pick and choose who your customers and clients are, but once you've committed and that person has made that transaction with you, you need to understand that, hey, my duty now is to make sure that this person is happy with my service and my business because now this is my livelihood. And I'm glad that you touched on that because that's an important part that a lot of people overlook. A lot of people just say, I'm self-made. I don't need this. This is my business. Right. And I like that you touched on the ego because, I mean, I definitely had an ego. I mean, I was just like, yo, I just quit my job and I got my own business. You know what I'm saying? I'm walking around like this. So, yeah, when I wasn't on the job, when I wasn't dealing with annoying people, you know, I definitely was walking around like that ego to the ceiling. But 
you know, you got to pick and choose. And that's not even with entrepreneurship. That's with everything. You got to know when to turn the ego on, when to turn it off. You got to know when to ask a question and say, yeah, I just don't really know what you're talking about or when to be the loudest in the room sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, that concept is definitely key. And yeah, I'm gonna let you keep going. Now, one thing I did want to touch on that I like really appreciated from your story was the fact that you started in an industry that it was just kind of like, like the big transition, number one. And then number two, the fact that you didn't want to stay there. And so you knew and you moved. So like the first thing being like, with you leaving an accounting office, like you said, I was sitting in the office. I'm in the AC. I'm chilling. Like I've moved people before. You know what I'm saying? Like my pops was an 18 wheel driver. And that was what we primarily had to do was move people and then load them up in the truck. Bro, you are up flights and stairs. It is hot. You are breaking your back. Like you said, you know what I'm saying? So you went from this really kind of chilling situation. I got my set income to like, all right, cool. I'm going to transition to something harder. I'm going to push through it. You know what I'm saying? It's not always easy. I'm going to push through it. But then at the end of it, you were like, okay, cool. Now that it's giving me the bread to be able to have more options, I can transition out of this. And I think that's really crucial for a lot of people to understand because so many people be thinking like, oh, if I start this business, I'm stuck in that. That's the only thing I can do. Or they act like this first business is the end all be all. It's like, bro, right, right, right. it's not. Like you can move, like you can transition. I mean, and that's important with a lot. So I'd be doing a lot of random research. And there was a, I read somewhere where it was like Karl Marx basically said like, you shouldn't be your occupation, right? Like just because you are a mechanic don't mean that's what you got to do all the time. That don't mean that is what your life is, blah, blah, blah. Right. So even my move from the accounting to the blue collar world was just like, yeah, I'm still an accountant, but that don't mean I have to go sit in an office and buy my degree. I can go do something else and then still be an accountant for myself, for other people. Like the accounting ain't going anywhere. And it, bottom line, it shaped my mindset since I was what 20 years old. So like, no matter what I do now, I still got the accounting going. But yeah, I, mean, I try to do a lot of different things, like straight up. And then, you know, everybody be like, you know, pick one and master it. And I'm not trying to say like, that's wrong or nothing. You know what I mean? But I'm trying to see as much as I can do and then find a point where I'm like, all right, I like doing this more. Let me rock with that. Or this gets me more money. Let me rock with that. But yeah, definitely not to a point of like super freedom or anything like that at all. But I'm definitely to a higher point of freedom than I was, what, three years ago when I started. So that part feels good, but it's still a lot more work to be done. And I do want to ask you about, so the transition, like with going into the next thing that you actually wanted to do, because like we talked off air and you said that was actually what you wanted to do. What led you into getting into real estate and like, what was your first deal like? Um, so honestly, it's my girl, right? Her family kind of comes from a property manager background. They, her granddad was really big in the community. So she was all about, uh, real estate and properties and all of this. Um, I was more of a, of a saver and then transitioned to a stock guy in crypto, obviously, but she always had the real estate going. So Honestly, she found this duplex, right? Because she basically, and this is what I tell people when they ask me, like, when they want to get into real estate and stuff, I tell them, like, yo, you got to be on Zillow like you be on Twitter. Or you got to be on Redfin like you be on Facebook. You know what I mean? 
because that's what she does. So I ain't trying to take none of her credit right now. That's what she does. She'd be on it tough. So she actually found the duplex that we got. And from there, it kind of blossomed into me realizing I had a whole bunch of skills I didn't even know I had because it was a fixer upper, but it wasn't in like terrible condition. It was just, it needed a good amount of work to be brought up to, you know, the 21st century. So I accepted it as a challenge. I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, like we were listening to different podcasts and doing a whole bunch of research. She already had a condo too, before we got together. So she on her shit, you know what I'm saying? So my bad, excuse me. So she was already on that. And then we obviously wanted it to grow and get more and more properties. So we started doing research and uh, bigger pockets, podcasts, uh, blacker pockets, you know, different things. We was on whatever we could. So then we found this joint and it was a bit of a risk, but it was of that mindset where it's like, all right, if we want to be in that realm, you know, these are the risks that are going to come. So uh got into the house, started fixing it up, uh, demoing kitchens and doing tile work and replacing light fixtures and just like this random. Yeah, me. Right. That's what I'm saying. So and my dad, though, and I'll give him his credit. He is like a one handyman. Like since I was tiny, he'd been the man with his hands. Right. So, but I always took those skills for granted because I was like, nah, what? I'm going to be a college boy. Like, I don't need to learn that stuff, you know, like dumb mindset. But I learned enough from him as a kid to kind of learn how to apply my hands and tools and certain things. I had the foundation, right? But yeah, we get this house. I start working on it, doing, you know, stuff that I've never done before. And again, this is my mindset where I'm like, let's do it. You know, let's take on new challenges, especially high income rewarding, you know, big valuable producing risks and challenges. I was like, yeah, let's take them. So my dad helped a couple of times. He came up, but I did most of the work on that side. Then we got it listed as an Airbnb. We were actually going to rent it out like standard lease, but we just kept getting like weird and it just wasn't good vibes. We actually had a pedophile like a convicted. <laughs> yeah, he was on the registry and everything, right? Him and his wife came and looked at it. They were ready to move in. We were excited. And then we Googled them. And we were like, oh, nah, no, sir. So, like, it was just different things like that. And then we kept thinking about Airbnb and we're like, you know, let's do it. So, man, we started our list in February last year. So, literally, when COVID <laughs> was like at the peak type of thing. So, that's just another one of those like, risky situations crazy challenges that you know most people would probably be real scared of and probably run back to oh let me go get the regular lease but man we stuck with the airbnb paid off like crazy and then we taking that cash flow moved to the next one so and then now the next one's gonna require way more work than this one so i'm kind of stepping it up now so i'm like you know let's see if i can handle that challenge so yeah i mean and then my plan from there once we finish this one, probably Airbnb that one too. And, and then keep it going. Get another one. Keep this train rolling, man, because the real estate is essentially what I want to be my our retirement plan. You know, I want, obviously I'm investing and I got my portfolio, but I want to be able to sit back on a huge real estate portfolio and know I'm always good, know the family's always good, and you know, have leverage to actually be able to help people. Like I'd love to, you know, help single moms and different things with cheaper rent for a year or two different, you know, help them get on their feet. 
I can't do that yet. We only got four doors. But one day, you know, we got got big plans. But yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Nah, that answers it perfectly, bro. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to just like I love the the way that you're value focused, like you said. You know, you just want to help people out, and I kind of want to get a little bit deeper and just into the Airbnb because I know that's topic that we really didn't too much dive in on. Yeah. That. You're a super host. You became a super host oh, yeah. during the pandemic. During the pandemic. What is some things that you learned from Airbnb while Airbnb? And what made you guys successful enough to become super hosts during the pandemic? Yeah, for sure. Good question. It's a vague answer and I can get into more detail, I guess. But like, honestly, being running my own business for those two years or whatever, was like an easy transition because I had already known how to, I learned how to message with people. You know, I learned what to say. I learned how to have a perfectly detailed page that hits on the highlights of what we offer and what they need. So like I applied everything that I learned from running my other business to this one. So it was perfect. But I mean, really it comes, communication is key. Even like I was saying earlier with the humility, we got people that try to check us and you deal with a lot of crazy people as an entrepreneur, especially when you start branching off into more. So like there's been a lot of situations where we just got to be humble and just be like, all right, man, you got it. Um, Because at the end of the day, like the way I look at it when I'm starting a business is the reviews matter more than the, the profit margin, right? Like I need, we need to get the reviews before we can really apply the pressure on the price. So if that means sometimes just, you know, swallowing your tongue and then conceding or going and getting them extra towel just so that, you know, they'll shut up. Like I would do it. I'm fine with it. And it helped that we were house hacking. Right. So we lived right next door to the joint. So any issues came up or anything, you know, I'm right there. No problem. I mean, customer service is key. Like I said, the communication and all of that. Cleanliness, obviously, very key. And as like I told you, I'm a very clean person and I already had cleaning business with the supplies and uh, connects. So that was easy to make sure it's uh, really clean. But other than that, I mean, honestly, it's not too much to it. You just got to supply the place and and make sure you got a whole bunch of sheets and towels ready and be as cordial as possible. You just got to remember that you're in the tourism and hospitality business, right? And that hospitality part is real key. Like you're not a hotel, but you got to act like you are. So the guest happiness comes first. Same way I would try to treat my moving customer or my cleaning customer happy. I'm going to make sure that when this person leaves, they want to leave with a five-star review. And this is something I'll say that's key. Knowing how to troubleshoot things, right? So like, I always send, when people leave, right, the message I send them is like, thanks for the stay. If they're clean, I'd be like, thanks for keeping it so clean. We hope you found it five-star worthy. If you didn't, we would appreciate private feedback, right? So that way, it lets them know, like, all right, don't go be an asshole, right? Like, look, we people here, we understand if there was an issue, just let us know. You don't got to go blast us. And I mean, we had 35 reviews with five star average straight up like we don't get nothing below a five star i mean obviously it's because our place is nice and we furnished it nice and we make sure i mean they got dishes 
coffee maker, all this simple stuff, you know, but it's easy to overlook those things. You got to make sure that they're there. The place is nice, place is clean, and we present ourselves as very nice and hospitable people, and it works out. Hey, yeah, I wanted to say one thing about something you said, because you said, like, having all the simple stuff in there, but, like, it's stuff that's easily looked over. I feel like that was a huge piece for, like, the Airbnb people. Because I can't even talk about how many times I've been to Airbnb, and it's just been like, why the hell don't they have this? Like, or it's just like, where is this, you know? But And then you just right. have to go buy it or whatever. But it's just like. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's cool that you're trying to get that feedback from your customers so that you can make sure that you're keeping them happy. And then another thing I like that you said was that we needed to get the good reviews before we could apply the like the pricing to get that money. Like, I feel like a lot of people miss on that. Yeah, like that's any business. And I feel like a lot of people miss on that. Lose a little money in the beginning, get you some, not lose, excuse me, but like don't make the maximum amount of money on the first few deals get you some reviews and then people will buy into those reviews. Dang, look at how good he cleaned up that place. Dang, that carpet looks really good. Like, all right, right cool. I right. think I'm looking at these reviews. They said that they're really convenient. I'm looking for somebody fast. Bet I'll work with them. Like that's what'll help get you the extra business. And I'm happy that you spoke to that, that marketing too. Yeah. Well, I mean, so to piggyback off of that, right. In accounting, there's a term called goodwill and it shows up on the balance sheet. It's an intangible asset, right? So it isn't a physical something you could touch or sell. It's what kind of goodwill has this company generated over the years as far as that company's reputation. So that should be your focus when you first start out is build the goodwill. Like, obviously, you need cash. You got to keep the lights on, but build that goodwill. You know what I'm saying? Get that. And when you start now, you can't really price it on your balance sheet. I'm not saying it in that terms, but... Imagine you got an account called Goodwill on your balance sheet and you want it to be as high as possible. That's how you should approach everything until you get those reviews and then you can kind of relax. And I'm not saying you can then go be an asshole or whatever, but like then you can start picking your battles a little smarter (laughs) or a little more lenient, I guess, versus feeling scared of every potential bad review. I like that. And I kind of want to, Pivot a little bit now, get into that investing, my brother. Because yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I know you said that's really like where you really excel at, and what you really like to focus on is that investing part. And I kind of want to just go back to, you said your first investment was Microsoft, right? Or yeah, Microsoft. No, nah, it was a uh, Microsoft. So, whenever you invested in Microsoft, you said you know you didn't have too much knowledge about it. But what made you say, okay, this is the company that I want to go with? Yeah, it came down to being a household name and a good company, right? It was like everybody knows about Microsoft. We all got Microsoft Office. Well, I mean, maybe not so much now with the cloud stuff taking over. But, um, you know, Xbox, everything that they had going on. And then when I looked at the chart, it was just always going up. So I was just like... Seems like a safe company to get into. And, you know, I had some insight into some of their product line and different things like that. So it felt like a good investment. So, yeah, I think I put, 
I want to say my first purchase was like uh around a thousand dollars. I bought ten shares, and that was when Microsoft was like ninety per share. Okay, so it's two things I want to uh, touch on that. Yeah, yeah. The reason why I first asked that question is because I didn't know if you used your accounting skills to use mm. fundamental analysis to make nah. on their balance sheet. Nah, see, I didn't, and that's I mean, it's funny you touched on that because I don't really do that for much of my investing, right? And I'm not telling people that to be like, yeah, go be nonchalant about it. But like, I know there are some people that, and I even have friends that personally will study balance sheets, right? And like, they don't feel comfortable buying something unless they do that research. But I'm not that kind of investor. Like I tweeted the other day, like, read society or whatever, right? Invest based on society. So that's how I do. I don't always need to dive deep in and do all this crazy research now i will look at the balance sheet and if i see like crazy debt or something then all right maybe i'll stay away but i mean there's certain situations like uber if you looked at that income statement on balance sheet you wouldn't like it but that's one of my favorite stocks and i think it's going to be huge yeah exactly so it's just like i don't i try i'm not to that point i think there might be one day where you know i'm a multimillionaire and it will pay off for me to do crazy due diligence on something where I can put all my money on it and then buku dollars, right? But like right now, I'm also just play society and play household names. Like people will DM me like some obscure company that I've never heard of. And I'll just mess them. Like, I don't never heard of them. I don't really know what to tell you about them. Like I can do the same research on them that you can straight up. Now, obviously I'm an accountant. I'll be able to read things a little different but yeah i mean i'm not trying to tell people you know be stupid about it but i'm more so like like i said microsoft was more of a household name i knew it i knew people that used it the brand's top notch bill gates you know like i tell people there's you buy a stock for one reason you want it to go up there's a thousand reasons why it could go up you just need one of them to be right and if it's branding, like maybe you think a company has the best branding, right? And everybody keeps talking about this company. Like something that clicked for me with Uber was when I left the airport and they changed the whole like departure lane for Uber and Lyft. And then I was just like, boom, all right. Like clearly they're here to stay. Like clearly this disruption is real. And then from then on, I've been investing in Uber and that was at like $20 per share. And here we are at 50. So, you know what I mean? I'm not knocking any, uh, you know, utility to doing super deep research, but I'm more so, I've found a strategy that works for me and I stick with it. I like, I think that's cool though. Yeah. 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 I like how you do it. Like just kind of common sense based, like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. I came out of the airport and I'm starting to notice that like, they completely changed this up. Like it's no longer taxis out here and they changed (laughs) up the lanes. They include Ubers and Lyfts. Like, they get yeah. more, more priority than other people. All right, cool. Maybe that's, you know, something that I should invest in because it looks like they're on, you know what I'm saying, starting to be integrated into society. Like, I really exactly. like that being a crucial point of how you're looking at it for the investor. Like, how are yeah. they getting integrated? Right. Yeah. Another, another part I wanted to hit on with your investment, you kind of talked about it whenever you put that $1,000 in and it came out to 10 shares. I remember you had tweeted something maybe like two months ago, but it stuck with me, bro. You was like, I don't buy unless I can buy five, 10, or like yeah. 100 shares, 
50 or 100 shares. He was right. like, I'm not doing that one or two shares no more. <laughs> and I was like, bro, that's so smart, though, because now you know for sure, hey, I'm getting this set amount, or and I'm going to at least save up so I can purchase this amount or whatever. Right. And I was just like, man, that's really a smart way to look at that. And, I mean, that's what I tell people. A homie literally, what, two, three weeks ago showed me his portfolio. And I'm scrolling down. I'm scrolling down for like 10 seconds because he just got one and two shares of of 50 companies. A whole bunch of them. Yeah. And the problem with that is you don't let your winners win, right? Because like 10 of those 50 probably been pumping, but he only got two shares of them. So like it ain't really doing them nothing. Now, I mean, he's obviously, he's up over time. Like He's definitely making money, but you don't want to over diversify to the point where you're just buying little ones and twos and to the point where you're just buying everything off of any tip, right? I was doing that when I first started. If I seen a tip that looked promising, I would buy it. And then three months later, I'm looking at a ticker like, I don't even know what this company is. Like, how did it get here? And and this was early on I'm talking about. So that was a moment where it clicked for me like, all right, I can't do that, obviously. Like, I at least got to know who the hell I'm investing in. So that was a big moment where I was like, all right, let me, I think that moment told me I need to have a strategy. Right. Like before that, I didn't know I needed to have a strategy. I thought I could just just go load up on just buy everything, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that moment started to let me know like, I a strategy would probably be better than looking at a portfolio, even wondering what this company is. But yeah, yeah, definitely buy it in the fives, tens, fifteens, what you can afford. Buy it as much as you can in those increments, man. And like and I tell people, too, if you can only afford one then all right, buy that one, but you're buying it with full intentions of getting another one next time so that you'll get to that five mark. And then, all right, you got that. Now maybe you can go get another one or now maybe your goal is to get that to 10. You know what I'm saying? Like you want to be strategy driven though. You don't want to just keep, I mean, you can just throw money at it and it might work. I mean, it might, but I've found the strategies work to be a lot better. Even if the strategy is, like I was telling y'all earlier, focus on household names and products you're using. If that's your strategy and working, then stick with it. You know what I mean? That's powerful, bro. And the last thing on this like investing topic really is like, like you said, that investing in society. And that's going to take us to our segue into Bitcoin. But oh, yeah. just investing into society is so integral and I kind of want to talk about that right now with the changing of the presidencies. Mm. Right now, people should be reallocating their portfolios and understanding like what's going on and what's about to happen in society. I think it may have been you tweeted this yesterday. I don't know if it was you or bees, but one of y'all was like, you know, the clean energy and such and such has been helping me. Oh yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, and like I was like, that's another smart tip is. That's how you play the game, though, because we know yeah. one of Joe Biden's biggest points is the Green New Deal. So guess what? up. What's about to start getting a lot of money allocation and a lot of these tax breaks? Clean right. Exactly. It's a society thing, man. And it was like an easy play. Every time he talked, he talked about green energy. I mean, the second I saw that he was going to win, I said, all right, we're going with clean energy. And it was, and this man, the iClean ETF, bro, is like up 40, 50% in the past month or so since I got in. So it was like other people had that same philosophy, but that is what being a good investor is. 
is beating them to the punch. You know what I mean? Getting in there before everybody else does. So, and I'm riding it for for his whole presidency. I mean, I'm riding it for this next decade. I honestly think the clean energy stuff will be, you know, will be huge growth in this next decade. Plus, I mean, moving forward, obviously, we need the clean energy type of deal. We need it. Like, it's going to be huge. And I think a lot of people, they're just like, oh, no, these all Titans and this, like, the, the <laughs> old fossil fuels, they're thinking that, oh, the money's too big for it to grow. But what they're not realizing is that if we keep going the same way we're going, ain't nobody going to be fucking investing. We're going to be dead because our That's planet is going to be fucked up. Like, Yo, the Earth don't need us. The Earth does man. not need us. Like, the Earth is better off without us, man. We out here killing the joint. So, yeah, I mean, we got to do something. And I mean, now that, you know, I don't have hatred for Trump like a lot of people do, but he's a dumbass, right? Like, I can say that. So now that the dumbass is out, hopefully we do start moving towards the clean energy we need. And I know that's ironic being a Bitcoin fan because it uses so much energy. I don't really have the best answer for, for that part. I just think that it's going to, even for that, we need more clean energy, right? Like if our money is going to be reliant on electricity and we're going to have to figure out a better way to produce electricity and our money is going to be relying upon electricity whether it's bitcoin or not straight up cash apps and the squares and the paypals yeah that's what i'm saying that is we're moving to cashless it ain't no coin shortage they don't want to make them no more they see where we're going you know what i mean so there's no point in making those coins when now the average currency pay spent is a 20 dollars bill so what do you need to make pennies for so and then, yeah, and we moving towards the whole cash. As I tweeted this not too long ago. If you look at the bank stocks and was it just the bank? Yeah, but you can look at the bank stocks and the bank ETFs, right? Over the past couple of years, down, you know what I'm saying? Ugly charts. Look at Square, look at PayPal, look at Bitcoin, look at iPay, right? Look at all of them, they pumping. So that's telling you where we're going. And is you can either ignore that or you can just get with it. And I'm with it straight up. I'm with it too, my brother. And like, it's all just like future of like society and everything. The reason why I was really been like ingrained in my brain is I just read this book on like Jeff Bezos. It's called Invent and Wander. But he's just talking mm. about like a lot of the things that Amazon has done. The whole first part of the book is just like him and all of his letters to his shareholders. And it was crazy. But then the second part was like, some of the future and some of the things with him and Blue Origin, his space company and shit mm. like that. I'm just like, bro, like society is really about to look crazy. Like, yeah. whenever I say crazy, I'm thinking crazy in a good way. I think, yeah, I know. I'm yeah, with you. I think that we're like, we're about to really, really just like take off. Like, we were once in like the industrial age and all of that. Like, right. the technology age, though, he said a, a really important part in that book. He was like, all of the people that was here before, like the Galileos, the Einsteins, mm. all of these people, they were killed to live in this age right now because of the way that information is moving and the right. way that we are moving as a society. I, was just, yeah. I had to really take a step back and I was just like, damn, bro. Like, this is like some really powerful statements of just like how society is advancing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with that. I mean, because it's the internet. I mean, bottom line, right? Like, we've never been able to share info like this. We've never been able to expose the systems like we can now. And I think that's an element of what he might have been touching on, where they would want to live in this time now, 
because back in the day, you know, if you had a progressive thought, you were shut down. Mm-hmm. It was like, nah, you're going against the grain. You got to get out of here. So like, you know, the most brilliant people was looked at, was outcasted in different situations. So yeah, I mean, that that definitely makes sense because that's what it's going to take for as we move to this next thing. It's like Nipsey was talking about on one of his interludes where he was talking about the big giants going to crumble and all this mm-hmm. and talking about how, you know, the new model and all that. And it's he was basically talking about the internet too. So yeah, internet changing everything. And, and like we talking about with Bitcoin and everything, just another innovation of it. Now, obviously, it's going to have its downfalls too. Well, not technically the internet, but just the growth of technology because we definitely moving towards more automation. So people are going to get left behind, unfortunately. But, you know, that's why I'm trying to each one reach one as much as I can now. I got a little cousin texting him not too long ago, like, yo, median black wealth heading to zero. I know you're trying to be a rapper, but I'm going to need you to get a skill so you can feed your family in 20 years. And I was like, I know you don't care about this right now, but trust me, you won't care about it one day and it's going to be too damn late. So, yeah. And that's why I'm really big on Bitcoin too, man, because it's, it's going to create generational wealth for a lot of people. And if you look at the country, who doesn't have generational wealth is black folk. So that's what I'm saying. And it's like, this is the time to get it. But we falling behind in crypto now because it's all white people dominating it. And only the computer geeks understand it. So they're the only ones buying it. And you know what I mean? It's obviously expanding now and got a lot more mainstream now. But yeah, I mean, we've fallen behind on that. We have a golden opportunity to build serious wealth off of this. And yeah, it's a big risk. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take a community collective chance. But look at where we at now, man. 40,000, you know what I'm saying? Like, and this is... Yeah, so it's like uh, what Bitcoin Zay or whatever to talk about. With even he got the book and everything. Like yeah, the black wealth can benefit greatly from getting into Bitcoin, and it's not only just your net worth increasing. Like my macroeconomic education came from Bitcoin. I took macroeconomics at Virginia Tech, but I learned way more about macro, the real world macroeconomics from my involvement with Bitcoin and stocks and such obviously but bitcoin definitely just changed my perspective on everything it got me researching things that i was never researching and i think yeah we need to get in it it's like digital real estate the more we own now the better off our family is going to be in the future like that's bottom line because it's scarce it's going away or it's not going away it's not going to be made there ain't gonna be new bitcoin made after a certain point and at that point whoever has it is in control so, like, I got it. So my family going to be good. You know what I'm saying? My homies got it. Their family is going to be good. My sister got it. They, we all going to be good. But we all got to get it. It's like straight up. We got to get in there. And that's more of a don't try to time the market. You got to judge society. Yeah, it's at 40000 It's high. I get you. But still buy it right now. You know what I'm saying? Because society is telling us it's still going to go higher. And yeah, it could go lower and we would probably get into the whole Bitcoin thing. So you got to be smart with it, obviously. But yeah, I mean, smart buys of Bitcoin, dollar cost averaging of Bitcoin is crucial, especially for those lacking generational wealth. You can't let the ones that have generational wealth get it compounded by the new generational wealth invention. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, ooh, man, you just touched on a lot of stuff. Hey, man, my brother out here preaching today, bro. <laughs> and, like, you got me excited about the whole Bitcoin thing. 
with just like the pricing and everything, because I watched that video that you had dropped uh, whenever they were talking about it on Market Watch. And there was one of the analysts and he was like, oh, yeah. I see a coin being worth a million dollars. Like, yeah. But even like you're saying with the macros around Bitcoin, I was reading some articles too, because uh, I'm not going to lie. Like my first purchase in Bitcoin was February of 2020. I got in right around like $9,000. I just put $50 in it, bro. Cause I didn't know. Right, right. And yeah, I, I got you. I purchased it on Robinhood Once again, that showed my lack of knowledge of what was truly going on because I didn't yeah. know that whenever I purchased it on Robinhood, I don't own my coin. But yeah. I was, to be honest with you, I don't think it's Bitcoin at all. I don't think you're buying Bitcoin at all on Robinhood. But yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> but that showed like my lack of knowledge in it. But I was at least happy because I was at least able to participate in the game yeah, that happened. Right, right. So now uh, Kelly just told me about a digital wallet engine. I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I use. So he told me about engine, and I was like, yo. So my thinking is, if it if it retraces a little bit and it drops, I'm selling what the hell I got, and then I'm about to like really just flip in and try to start owning my own Bitcoin. And right, right. That's that's the segue that I kind of want to get into is that owning your Bitcoin and how you right. go about it. Because I know right now, once again, with society, you're talking about investing on society. Those are big players who are purchasing Bitcoin right now. There's yeah. JP Morgan who's birthed purchasing Bitcoin. There's yep. PayPal who's purchasing Bitcoin. There's Square who's purchasing Bitcoin. Uh, Grayscale. Grayscale been Grayscale. buying it up like crazy. Hell yeah. Uh, like yeah. Sony's allowing you to buy in games and shit now with Bitcoin. Mm. Same with Xbox. And there's certain retailers who's starting to get into this. So yep. that's whenever I was like, yo, now was really the time. Like that first pump whenever it went to 20, like that just yeah, yeah, like yeah. eye opener. But now yeah. I think this is where Bitcoin is gonna say, okay, this is where we're solidifying that we are part of the future of society. Exactly. Exactly. Cause you got the major players buying it. And that's what was necessary. Cause I mean, look, when I first got in it, what three, four years ago, three years ago. I mean, any mention of Bitcoin on CNBC, they was laughing at it. Just get it out of here. What are y'all talking about? Like, let's get back to equities. The real thing on now is way different. I'm talking about, I'm talking about $40,000 different. You know what I'm saying? Like they respect it like crazy now. And that's because I think the video you was talking about was the homie uh, Pomp, right? It was like he was saying that there's going to be a one day where companies got to have Bitcoin on their balance sheet because that's the way of the world. You're not going to want to have dollars if it's just going to keep deflating and keep depreciating out here, right? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely moving towards that. But as far as like, if you had a question on the wallet game, I don't know if you asked a specific question about it. I so did, let me I know. do want to get into that, like, the wallet game, like, how do you control and own your own Bitcoin? Like, yeah. instead of just buying maybe on Square, uh, on, instead of just buying on Cash App or like PayPal, how do right. I actually buy and purchase my own Bitcoin? Yeah, also, for sure. Can you explain on uh, the point about Robinhood from earlier? Because that kind of threw me too. You was like, or not Robinhood, but on yeah. Cash App where it's like you're not actually buying Bitcoin. Can you explain No, no, no. Too? No, nah, it is Robinhood. No, Cash App is legit. You are you are buying the real thing on Cash App, but, but Robinhood, bro. I think 
you're getting exposure, right? It's basically a derivative. I don't really think you're buying the real Bitcoin. What I think the concept would be Robinhood buys the Bitcoin when you buy it. So that is, you know, the derivative is backed by something. Now, don't quote me on this. I'm not saying that this is exactly what's going on, but I feel like that's what it is because there's no reason why they wouldn't let you transfer it out. That's literally what crypto is about is transferring. So if they really had crypto on there, you would be able to transfer in and out. So something tells me it's just cash derivative. But at the same time, that's not bad. Like that can be a good thing for people that want to get in it, but don't want to get into the complexities of the ownership and the wallets and all that. Right. So essentially what it comes down to is you got two options. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with two options. You got two options. You could hold your coins on an exchange. So an exchange would be Cash App, Coinbase, Binance, Kraken, Gemini. All of these are exchanges, right? Same way um, with the stocks, you got TD Ameritrade and Robinhood. You got the brokers, right? So you could buy the coin and store it on an exchange, or you can buy the coin on the exchange and then send it to your own wallet. Now, the difference with that is with Bitcoin, with crypto, I mean, with 99% of crypto, but I'm going to just say Bitcoin because I don't even really care about the rest of them like that. Bitcoin is the king, and that's what people should focus on. With Bitcoin, it's all about private key, right? Private key is what controls every single transaction. If you can't prove that you got the private key, when I say this stuff, I think people might interpret like you actually got to plug in a number or you got to do some coding. Like it ain't that intuitive. The software stuff does it for us, right? But you got to have a private key for a transaction to go through. That's a key step for the blockchain to know that this transaction is valid. It checks that the coins that's trying to be sent is linked to that private key, right? So, and a private key, I mean, there's so much to talk about, right? But in crypto terms, crypto is cryptography. It's how do you exchange messages over insecure uh, channels? So how can I send something to somebody and be sure that they're going to get it? And then how can they be sure that what they got was actually sent by me is actually the real thing. Nobody got in the way and stole it and then sent them a false message, blah, blah, blah. So how that is all achieved is through these keys, right? Like the same way you put a key to lock a box and then nobody can get in there. Cryptography functions off of keys. You lock a message with a key and then only there's different types of cryptography, but essentially somebody else has to have that key to be able to unlock it. Just like a door, right? Mm -hmm. You lock your door when you leave because you know you're the only one with that key. So when you buy it on an exchange and store it on the exchange, the exchange has the private key. And there's a phrase in crypto that if you don't own your private key, then you don't really own the coins. Just because like the private key is like your social security number of crypto. It's what lets everything happen, what defines everything. So the exchange has your private keys, right? Now, what the risk of that is, is that they could get hacked because if they don't store the private keys right, if they're not wiping their systems and if they're not doing the proper security measures to make sure that your private key can't get hacked, you know, isn't vulnerable, then somebody might be able to hack that exchange. So, like, it's a key thing to know with Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't get hacked. The supporting stuff can get hacked. But the Bitcoin, the blockchain itself is not going to get hacked. Now, 
can't is a strong word. It technically can, but it's not going to. And we can get into that. But that's the issue with holding it on the exchange is that the exchange can get hacked. And then if you got your coins on that exchange, that hacker can take your coins and that's it. You know what I'm saying? It ain't like there's no FDIC and no SEC and this and that to go to and say, I need my money back. You know what you signed up for when you walk into the wild world of crypto. And if you store your coins on an exchange, that could happen. So the smart thing to do is buy it on the exchange and then send it to your own wallet. And there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of different types of wallets. Different ones offer different security features, a whole bunch of like technical stuff. But like the one you mentioned, Engine, is really good. So you buy it on Cash App or Coinbase or whatever. Those fees are pretty high, by the way. So like Kraken is an exchange that is available to the U.S. and you can deposit U.S. dollars into it. That's the thing. You always got to find the exchanges that allow you to deposit U.S. dollar because you got like you got certain crypto exchanges where you have to send in Bitcoin to even operate it. But essentially, you send it to your own wallet and then now you own the private keys to that wallet. So you actually own those coins. Because when you start the wallet, the private key is a random number and it gets real technical. I don't know how much time and, and how much y'all want me to get into it, but the private key is a really long string of digits, right? And if you download engine app, right, you go in there, it's going to say create a new wallet, right? So you create a new wallet. It's going to give you a seed phrase, which is, I believe, 12, I'm pretty sure it's 12 words. And that's a C phrase. And that C phrase represents your private key because each word in that phrase is tied to a different string of digits and whatever, right? So that C phrase is your private key. By you knowing that C phrase. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You essentially own your private key because this is another key concept to understand that people struggle with. Like, let's say you transfer your coins into the engine wallet, right? And then out of nowhere, engine wallet stops being supported and it goes away. You might think like, oh, shit, my coins just evaporated. I don't got my coins no more. But that's not how it works. The wallets just give you access to the blockchain. The blockchain always exists. The wallets just give you access. So think of it like a street, right? Like it's a busy street with cars going on. In order to have access to that street, you got to buy a house on that street right? Whether you are in a house on that street or not, that street is still going. But if you want to have access to that street, you buy a house on that street. So that's basically what a wallet is, is it gives you access to that street. The wallet doesn't own your Bitcoin. The blockchain owns your Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin is attached to the private key that you own, (laughs) if that makes sense. You're breaking it down really simple. And I'm following you, my brother. I definitely didn't understand any of this beforehand. All right, good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's key because like, but the thing is, if you, so the risk though, is that if you lose that C phrase and then the engine wallet does go away, all right, because how it works here, let me back up, I'll explain it. Let's say the engine wallet does go away. You just download a different wallet. They got Electrum, Loaf Wallet, 
straight up there's a wallet called just blockchain. You download one of these wallets and then you can restore a wallet and then it'll ask you for the seed phrase. You plug in the the phrase that you got from the engine wallet and then boom, your coins are in that wallet now because the engine wallet never owned your coins. The engine wallet just gave you a private key and that private key is going to work no matter what wallet you're using because like I said, that street is in existence whether you got a house on it or not. So that's all it is, straight up. So question, is that yeah. the same thing for like offline wallets? Because I know there's offline wallets too. Yeah. You can plug up into like your- the, like, Yeah, so yeah. So that's a cold wallet, right? So engine wallet is, you basically got three type of wallets. You got the hot wallet and that's just an exchange. That's like the most vulnerable wallet you got. Because you could also like Coinbase, right? If I get your login info, then I can go in there and send your coins to me, right? So like, that's why it's also a risk to hold your stuff on an exchange because there's, you know, a password type of situation that somebody could get. Easily. Yeah, so you got the hot wallet and then you got a hot software wallet, which is what the engine wallet is. Now the vulnerability with that is kind of similar where if somebody gets your phone, now they might be able to, you know, screw you. They might be able to do it, uh, steal your coin, send them to somewhere else. But, I mean, as long as you safeguard, and there's a rule with crypto, and obviously I violate that rule every day, but people can't steal what they don't know you have. So if you don't tell anybody, like if you buy Bitcoin and send it to an engine wallet and you don't tell anybody, then nobody knows that it's there. You know what I'm saying? So they can't steal what they don't know is there. Um, But like the engine wallet has a password, so somebody could unlock the password, send it. So you definitely got to protect yourself out there. But the risk is that, there is no third party, right? Like with the hot wallets and the cold wallets. Oh, shit, my fault. Let me rewind. So you got the hot wallet and then you got the hot software wallet and then you got the cold wallet. The cold wallet is like what you were talking about, like the ledger and the USB stick. And that, it does exactly what the engine wallet does. It gives you a private key. It just is never connected to the internet, right? Like you plug it into your computer, you enter it propagates the private key based on it being plugged up and then it shows you what you have but it it doesn't connect to the internet that's why it's a cold wallet so it's the safest wallet possible the software hot wallet is like the intermediary between the two and that's like what engine and all that is but yeah i mean they function pretty similar they give you a private key and then you can take that private key to different wallets as long as you got that private key but if you lose that private key, you might lose those funds. So that's the risk with it is, is you, you won't get hacked, but you got to manage it yourself. The other hand is you might get hacked by storing it on Cash App or whatever. But if you ever forget your password, you can send them an email like we do 10 times a day. Man, and see, you just opened up my eyes because I ain't gonna lie, my mom actually ended up hitting me up about some Bitcoin earlier this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was asking me about buying it on Cash App. And I was like, I knew for sure with Robinhood you didn't own it. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah, right. Like with Cash App or whatever. And I'm glad that you're telling me that you can purchase it and send it to your wallet that way because I, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. So I'm probably gonna use that. Uh, I mean, that's one of the biggest, like, that's the biggest difference or not. I take that back. That's definitely not the biggest differentiator. Bitcoin functions just like stocks, but you can transfer Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't transfer stocks. 
And now that's not to confuse people to say like the underlying value is the same because it's not like a stock is based on a company. Bitcoin is based on speculation and society. So I'm not trying to, you know, make that false comparison. But the same way you buy a stock and then it moves up, that's exactly what Bitcoin does. But with Bitcoin, you can send it to whatever wallet you want. I can send it to you. You can send it to me. I can have 10 wallets and I can send a little bit from one to nine to the other nine wallets. It's all it's all wallet based and you can have as many as you want pretty much because the blockchain uses such large numbers. And I'm talking about like numbers that we can't fathom as how large the numbers are. So the chances of a private coin being repeated is like is basically impossible. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can have as many wallets as you want. And I usually suggest people to have multiple wallets. That way, if something does go wrong with one, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you got all of your coins on one and for for some reason it gets hacked somehow, you know, you you might be very sad about that. But if you had a split across, you know, you can manage. But, I mean, I personally haven't had any problems, uh, knock on wood. I hope nobody try to come get me now. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, I safeguard my private keys and I don't keep them at my crib either, you know. You got to be real smart about it because especially the more money you have, I'm talking about like there's people that um, with a lot of money, they'll like weld their private key into like copper and put it in a safe. And in that way, if, cause, you know, safes ain't always fireproof. Sometimes the shit that's inside of it will melt even though they call them fireproof. But if you got the joint out of copper, your private key is safe. Now, obviously, you only need to take that route if you got millions and millions of dollars worth. And if you only got a couple hundred or a thousand, you don't need to be welding and trying to, you know, ch- iron or do copper and shit. But I know it was that that serious. Damn, this shit is this shit next level, bro. Well, it's because I mean, because you gotta. It's the wild world of crypto, straight up. Like you gotta protect yourself because there there aren't those third parties that's there to do it for you. So. I mean, and there are the third parties, obviously, with the wallets and or like with the exchanges and stuff. But even then, like, the bottom line with crypto is you know what you signed up for. So if you screw up, if you lose money, if you lose something, it's on you. And, I mean, that's a good way to look at finances if you think about it. Like, why not? <laughs> you know, I want to be in control of my money. So, yeah, it's cool for me. Yeah, you definitely just educated us and uh. I'm not going to ask you to go too much deeper because that was a good little lesson. But man, I definitely appreciate you for shedding light on that, my dog. Um, Yeah, for sure. I personally didn't know that that's how all of the things work. And I think the last thing just to touch on with this Bitcoin stuff is, once again, like you were saying earlier, that's really like going to be one of the key tickets to building that wealth. And it was created to democratize all the other wealthy from just being as super wealthy as they are, but also just like the central banks and all of that stuff. Right. Actually having the control of that. Oh, that was the last question I had. So the last thing was how you were saying the blockchain couldn't be hacked. And I wanted to ask yeah, you, yeah, yeah. that was because like you said, the numbers being so large, is that why the blockchain theoretically couldn't be hacked? Yeah. That's a key part of it. It's basically like, um, so with the blockchain, there's a 51% attack rule. Whereas if one person or one party gains 51% of the network, then they have control of the network. 
and they can now change transactions and they can do different things, right? But the caveat or the good thing about Bitcoin is with each new block, the network gets bigger. So every 10 minutes, a new block is added to the chain. So every 10 minutes, it gets a little harder to hack because that 51% you would need grows every 10 minutes. And like you were saying, those really large numbers, um, because it is so energy intensive and it has to, not even energy intensive, you can scratch that out. Because the numbers are so large, the way that the mining works is it's basically like a lottery system to unlock the right number. But because the numbers are so large, it takes a whole lot of computing in order for that to happen. So in order to gain 51% of the network that grows every 10 minutes, you would essentially have to mine every block consecutively. And you personally or your team of hacks would have to be able to mine each block that keeps coming out so that you eventually own 51% of the network and you can then put your thumb on it. But like, it's not going to happen. Like straight up. Competition. Yeah. And there's so many miners and you have a strong community that wants to see it do well. Like there is a strong grassroots effort that will not let that happen. Everything is open source and all that. So like, it just can't happen straight up. The The biggest challenge, the biggest threat would be the quantum computing or whatever. Let me so make like sure I'm saying that right. Supercomputer. The supercomputer, yeah. Uh, yeah, quantum computing, yeah, straight up. Is the supercomputers because essentially what the mining hardware is doing is just, is think of it like a puzzle, right? You know how a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle, okay? Let's say you got all 999 pieces in there. All right, so now you need that last piece. But there's no picture on the puzzle. It's a white puzzle, and it's just based on the shapes, right? So now you need one piece to complete this puzzle, but you got a 1,000 pieces over here. So you have to pick up each puzzle piece and see if it's the one that completes the puzzle. That's what, a mining, that's what the mining hardware is doing, is there's a certain number that each block has to achieve, and it gets real technical, right? But there's a certain number each block has to achieve. So the mining hardware is then taking the block and adding a number, adding a number each time to see if with this number, is it right? With this number, is it right? And it just keeps doing that over and over and over and over and over and over. So it's just so much computing going on that in order to gain 51%, you would have to be able to outcompute the whole world, like straight up. And in the current state and even for the next however many hundred years they don't foresee you know that threat really being a challenge and the way technology works is that if that does become a challenge i bet just a better bitcoin is made you know what i'm saying like applying the same sound money principles same scarcity same principles but maybe better and a little faster and more secure for the modern world so i always tell people that like i'm not trying to say Bitcoin will forever be the king. I can't say that for certain, right? I think it will be. But there's also a possibility of maybe a new, better Bitcoin coming along. But if you are active in Bitcoin currently, you're going to know about the new one, the new, better, whatever that might come along. So I'm just keeping my ear to the crypto streets basically at all times and making my investments accordingly. And Right now, it's just all signs is pointing to Bitcoin straight up. 
but yeah, so that's the fifty one percent attack. You got to have fifty one percent of the network, and that's so that's how like you might have heard about forks like Bitcoin forks, where essentially the blockchain starts. Two blockchains happen, so you got the main blockchain. Yeah, then another one will happen, and that might be a hacker. Like if I'm a hacker, and then I win this block. All right, let me stop. Let's say we're right here, right on the blockchain. It's moving up. If I'm a hacker and I win this block, and then I win the next one, and then I win the next one, then I win the next one. Now this chain is becoming valid, and the more and more transactions that I can add to it, the more real this chain becomes. And then that's what the fifty-one percent is. Is if this chain now becomes larger than this chain, then now this is the real Bitcoin. But that's not going to happen because this chain is so strong. I liken it to like cutting drywall, which not everybody can relate to. But when you cut drywall, you got to put a lot of pressure on it and do a, a hard straight line, right? But like sometimes you might come off of it and like you might have a little jab line off. So what do you do? You restart at the top and then you come back down and you reinforce your line, right? Then you might have another jab off. So you come back and you reinforce your line. So that's kind of what a fork is, is like, all right, the blockchain might get confused real quick. Somebody might be able to win one or two blocks and confuse it. But eventually the network is going to overpower that and cancel it out. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I feel really strong about the security of Bitcoin and all that. Every 10 minutes, it gets stronger. So, like, I'm not worried about it one bit and I protect myself. So I'm not too vulnerable to hacks. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it's not as risky as it is to obviously somebody newer or no offense, but somebody like y'all that don't really have the technical knowledge of it. Yeah. Probably my last question. Whenever you say a new block is made, is that like a new coin being made? Yes and no. I mean, so, yeah. So basically how it goes. So Coinbase, right? Everybody thinks that's the exchange, but Coinbase is actually a transaction. So it's the first transaction of every block. A block is a group of transactions. Like I said, that puzzle example, imagine all 999 puzzle pieces are transactions. And one of those transactions is the Coinbase transaction where the miner gets paid for unlocking the block because it's a lottery process. You got everybody that has mining equipment is trying to unlock whatever block it can be unlocked right now. And it's all based on the crypto. It's all based on the the math and all that good stuff. But yeah, it's a straight lottery process. So the computers are, like I told you, they're pushing that puzzle piece in. Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Once it, once, if I'm a miner and I unlock and I complete the puzzle, it's, it's essentially called a proof of work, right? And you could think of it like a puzzle. I could show you a puzzle and you would know I put in the time needed to complete the puzzle but you wouldn't have to watch me do the puzzle, right? Just by looking at the puzzle, you know I put in the work. So that's what a miner does. So when that whole lottery process happens and the mining software unlocks the block, that miner, whoever owns that hardware that unlocked it, gets a reward. So that is what that Coinbase transaction is. So every Bitcoin transaction has to have an input, meaning somebody has to send it, right? You got to have a seller and a buyer. The Coinbase transactions are the only transactions that don't have uh, input. The miner essentially makes that coin his or herself by unlocking that block. So the miner gets that Coinbase transaction. 
Um, oh, and that's what I was talking about. So that's what the having situation that happened last May is every four years, the Coinbase transaction gets cut in half. So every four years, the amount that a miner gets every 10 minutes gets cut in half. So it started at 25. Then that got cut in half at 2012. No, it started at 50. My bad. Then that got cut in half at 2012 to 25. And then that got cut in half at 2016 to 12 and a half. So then that got cut last year. So now every miner that unlocks a block every 10 minutes is getting 6.25 Bitcoin, which at 40,000 a coin is a whole lot of money. But yeah, but it also takes a lot of money for the electricity and all of that. And it's a very hard process. You're not, it ain't like miners are winning coins every day and shit. Like it's tough, especially the more miners that get on the network. But I forgot exactly where I was going with that. But yeah, I mean, that's what the Coinbase is. That's how Bitcoin, oh, that's what I'm talking about with the having. That's how new Bitcoin is made. And that's also how, that's where the scarcity factor comes from. Every four years, there's less. Like the new supply is less every four years. So there's going to come a point where you can't have zero. You know what I'm saying? So at 2140 is the approximate date is when the last halving should hit. And then miners won't get new coin for adding a block. They'll just get the fees. So every transaction, like if I want to send you Bitcoin, I can add a fee to it. And then that'll be more enticing for the miner to include that transaction in the block. So when miners aren't getting a Coinbase, they're basically going to be mostly fee driven is the concept. So eventually that's how they'll get their revenue. And that will be their incentivization, if that's a word. That'll be their incentive, my fault, um, to keep the network growing, keep the network going, even though they're not getting that uh, Coinbase transaction. Man, yeah, that's hard. And that's why Bitcoin is so key, man, because you got the Fed just printing money left and right, doing whatever they want. And then here comes a means of value transfer that is built on scarcity, built on a deflationary supply and built on sound money principles straight up. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever, whoever he, she, or they are. Yeah, man. Like I'm a believer. <laughs> I, I think it's a day too. I don't think it's just one person came up with all of that shit. Man. Nah, it's nah, crazy. it's a day because it's so much that they had to be experts on. You know what I'm saying? They had to be experts on cryptography. They had to be experts on computer science. They had to be experts on macroeconomics. Like mm-hmm. those are so much they had to know. That can't be just one person. There's no uh, way. Yeah. Like, if it is just one person, this nigga's from the future. The genius of our time, straight up. But that's why Bitcoin is so hard for people to grasp, because it unites the hardest concepts of some of the hardest subjects we have, right? Like computer science, cryptography, uh, macroeconomics. Like, people don't understand these things. And then you're telling them to understand them all in one. Like, I understand why people don't get Bitcoin. And that's why, like... People think like I'd be like trying to argue and shit or whatever on Twitter. And it's like, nah, I don't care if you don't like Bitcoin, but at least know what you don't like. And that's I feel like that's my responsibility as somebody that understands the blockchain to the level that I do. When I see people saying just completely invalid stuff, I'm going to just clear that up. Hey, you could keep on owning zero Bitcoin for the rest of your life. That's fine with me. More for me. It's scarce out here. But at least know what you dislike. You know what I'm saying? At least understand what the hell you're talking about. Because there's so many false narratives that it's like it's easy for the naive people to run with the false narratives because they don't know enough 
to to be able to see through it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's such a confusing concept. And if, if anybody just wanted to educate themselves on Bitcoin further, where would yeah. you direct them to go start doing some research or read? Yeah, I mean, so I actually got something coming to my website, which is about to be launched next week. Looking forward to that. Um, but I'm going to post something on there that we'll go into a lot of detail on exactly what the blockchain is. Because that's kind of, to me, it's like, I'm not investing in Bitcoin. I'm investing in the blockchain. That's how I look at it. So the more you know about the blockchain and what the blockchain is and how it works, the more you are like, oh, yeah, this Bitcoin thing is where it's at. So I'm going to have a post that really gets into that. I can't guarantee when it will drop because it's a lot of info that I want to make sure I cover. Because I want to have a pin. Yo, when people be like, what's the intrinsic value of Bitcoin? I just want to send them a link. I don't need to have a thread for you no more. Here, here's a link. Take 30 minutes. And if you understand that and then you don't, then you still got a problem with it, then holler at me. But outside of that, for real, like Twitter has been the key driver for me. I follow people that tweet confusing stuff, right? Like, and I just try to understand what they're talking about, even if I don't. And then YouTube has been great. I don't really have like specific channels. I'm more so just was diving in on everything. I'm talking about when I first got into the Bitcoin thing, not when I bought it to do the gambling site, but when I decided to keep it and was like, oh shit, I'm rocking with this. Like I would spend every night just on YouTube, just looking up the technical stuff and not, don't look up no price target videos. And these videos of these gurus telling you, this altcoin is this and that like fuck all that just look up pure like blockchain explained videos you know what i'm saying like macroeconomics of bitcoin those kind of things don't look into the hype you want to really understand the tech so twitter has been great and i mean i don't have specific accounts i really just i mean it's more like just being in crypto twitter i see random tweets every day that i don't really know what it's talking about i'm not a computer science person but then I'll go Google it. And then I, boom, for that day, I became a little smarter. YouTube, all of that. Google. I mean, honestly, for me, it's just all been self-taught, man. Like, I don't, I wish I had somewhere that I would be like, yeah, this was the thing that helped me the most. But it wasn't. It was a lot of YouTube and a lot of Google. And a big thing I'll say is, like, you're not going to understand Every article or every video, or whatever, you're not going to understand 100% of it. Like, you're just not, you're probably not even going to understand 50% of it when you're starting out. But as long as you leave each post or whatever, as long as you leave each piece of content with one value add, you know what I'm saying? Then you'll get somewhere because, like, that's exactly what I did. I just made sure I learned this from that. All right. I didn't understand everything that person was talking about. And if I wanted to try, it might take me three years. So, all right, let me just understand this line. And then the next one, all right, I understand this line. And then over two, three years, all of that accumulated to what I'm talking about now and why I can spit on the blockchain freely and comfortably because I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've never, like, mind or nothing, so I ain't got that deep into it. But, like, all the wallet stuff I'm talking about is experience. I've been there, done that for years, um, different wallets, different things. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a... Big, big potential, I think, straight up. Hey, man, I appreciate it, my brother. And we'll pivot to the last section of the show, my dog. Um, and this is the what's on your timeline, my brother. So just anything that you saw that may have made you laugh, something you felt was serious, just anything that you want to uh, expound upon that was on your TF. 
Well, shit. I mean, it's a bunch going on right now, especially with them capital riots. That was crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, I'd definitely love to talk about that. I think that joint was just. I mean, it was just perfect. It was like beautiful madness just watching that kind of like we all knew they was capable of this crazy shit, but it was still surreal watching it. You like know what people, I'm saying? Like you said, people was we knew it was capable, but people was like, these motherfuckers ain't that crazy. Yeah, right. Nah, like, <laughs> like, nah, they are. But and then I mean, it was just crazy how it folded out. But the beauty of it to me was it just it like. It was just another win for black people, if you ask me. Like they just showed their ass and lost. Like big L, like left and right, straight up. Like I tweeted last night or whatever. They was recording themselves in there with no mask. Like that's stupid as shit. During a time where they're telling you to wear a mask, and then you want to prove a point so much that <laughs> you uh you go in there and commit a crime without a mask so that you can prove a point. It's like all crazy. Then they was recording when the old girl breached it and got shot. And it was just like, it was real, just like black people would have got way different treatment and everybody knows it. And then now we all got to see it again. You know what I'm saying? And then ain't too much like Trump dude down the street took all his flags and stuff out after that. It was too funny. <laughs> yeah, he was, bro, I'm talking about like cult like out here, man. That shit is man, crazy. Man, I got to pay attention to that now because there's a person that got that shit, fly- they had it flying in the front yard. Yeah, I'm out here in Texas, so these are oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. They be having yeah. flying with their trucks and shit. Hell yeah, I, I gotta pay attention now. I gotta see who took it down or something. Hey, my man took it down the next day. He was <laughs> like, All right, he was embarrassed, and he was embarrassed, and that was the perfect thing because it was like, I'm saying for the first time, they calling white people rioters and thugs, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, I don't know if, if that's ever happened. This, so, like, how they did old girl, like the woman who died, like. Sorry, rest her soul. But they was like, they they did yeah, they her get, straight up like they did a black person. It's like she got fired from going to this and doing that. They, like, oh yeah. shit, they really doing this shit. Well, and it's like, all right. So I think what's really happening in our generation is that white people, white is a thing now. All right, like before, it was white was just the standard, and if you were a race, you were black or you were Hispanic the or you were something race, else. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But now it's like, no, we can't trust you white people because look at what y'all are doing. And like, you know, the whole what white, um, it's not white fragility or whatever, but the white guilt is like a real thing now. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, like there's actually negatives to being white now where we never had that before. So like this week, it just further summed that up to me where it's like, boom, look at y'all. And I mean, I'm half white myself. So like, you know, that's always an interesting dilemma. But I'm like, boom, look at y'all straight clowning yourselves. You know what I'm saying? So it was a thank you moment to me. And I mean, you don't got to air this part, but I could care less about old girl that died. Like, she knew what she was doing, and she yeah. jumped into the window. Like, the video is very clear. She was, we not even lie, man. My girl, like, don't say that. <laughs> but that's fashion. Honestly... It is real. It is real. <laughs> but like you're saying, though, at the same time, when you got motherfuckers dying, in their sleep while they chilling in the comforts of their own home. Right. And ain't shit right. happening. Like, it's real. And that's life. Right. That's the life that we live right now. And I hate the fact that we so numb to this shit. But like you said, whenever I saw that shit, I was just like, oh, I didn't watch so many fucking black people die yeah. on my phone since high school. This shit's crazy. Right. But then I was looking at her Twitter and stuff, like not being all 
I I won't try to get obsessed with her, but it was interesting to be like, yo, her Twitter was crazy. It was one of them people that you would see the tweets and be like, oh, look at these crazy people. But then she was really, you know. About their life. Yeah, she acted it out. Like, so it's showing. I mean, it was crazy. Her tweets was wild. She was out of control. And I'm just glad they recorded everything. Like, that was the best part about it to me. It's like, y'all are so dumb that y'all are recording your stupidity. And, like, just proving everybody. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a big theme of, like, white actually being a thing now. And, yeah, it seems like it's going to keep going. I mean... I'm not, you know, I ain't really all into the politics stuff, but Biden straight up called them white supremacists, called them rioters, called them thugs. I don't think I've ever heard a president or elect or whatever say those things about white people. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it was a poetic justice straight up. In just a moment of like clarity and transparency right now, like I don't have no hate to white people. No, nobody on Black Wealth Renaissance has any hate to white people, but it's just the fact that we've been living in this reality for so long, just to see it actually come to light now, I'm not saying it's relieving, but it's just like a sense of like, whenever George Floyd started, this shit is really real now. I remember whenever we was like, man, yeah. this shit, this time feels different. I think that right, this, right. I think what happened Wednesday was really like the cap on it. Like, yo, like right. y'all really wildin' B. Yeah, straight up. It's important you mentioned the George Floyd thing because that was like the first moment where there was nothing that they could say he did wrong, right? Because there's always that what if moment that lets them off the hook. But that's why the George Floyd thing was so powerful because there, was, there wasn't that thing that they could dissect and be like, oh, but look at what he did. So you had that and how everybody came together and how everybody really was like, all right, maybe enough is enough, right? Like, even the white people was like, all right, not, maybe, and, maybe there's a point. And not and even then, just yeah. white people in America. It was the part that clicked in my head whenever I saw white people in Germany and England, like, yeah. really turning up. I was like, oh, right. this shit different. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Right. And it was because it was just like, it was straight. He was a pure victim, right? Like it was, and I'm not passing judgment on any of our other brothers that was in that situation, but I'm saying that they might have had something in the video that lets people say their little bullshit. But it wasn't none of that. And then now I feel like that happened again Wednesday. There's videos of y'all being stupid. There's videos of y'all vandalizing the Capitol building. There's videos of you trying to jump into a room where Congress reps are at. Like, you jump into a room and the cop is holding the gun in her face. Like, I don't know like what, what the fuck she was thinking. You know what I mean? Like, she'll be all right. Her family going to be all right. And then they got a cop killed. There was so much irony in the situation where it was like, y'all supposed to be the cop party and y'all killing the cop. And just everything was like... I'm not trying to say, like, I'm glad it happened, but, hey, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't it's all... turning point. Yeah, it wasn't all, like, sad days. <laughs> like, i seen all the tweets on Black Twitter where it was, like, you know, white people and everything. Oh, this is such a sad day for America and Black Twitter. Like, we don't care and different shit like that. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's basically what it is. Like, man, we knew that they was capable of this nonsense, and the way it played out was crazy, straight up. 
Mm-hmm. One thing I think like was really important from what both of y'all said, and especially for anybody who might be listening, it's like, well, dang, you know, they sound kind of merciless. You know what I'm saying? It's like everything that y'all were saying, like one thing I really wanted to pick out, you kept on saying this time was different. This time was different because of the fact that we've seen this same situation so many different times as far as black people getting like killed in situations where they shouldn't have like even have been in danger or the people that were supposed to be protecting them weren't you know what i'm saying so it's like we're right. seeing all these different situations over and over and over and like you said just seeing people dissected to make this person a bad person or just right. like completely not even talking about it like tamir rice where it's like a little kid you can't even not make him not the victim so we'll just not talk about it at all like right. all these different situations to where it's like okay when it finally the shoe kind of flips to the other foot and it's like on some wild stuff like no, we're not going to react. You know what I'm saying? So sad and so like, right. oh my God, you know, because of the fact of like, well, have you seen all these other innocent people that look like <laughs> me that just got killed for no reason? Yeah, like, right. yeah, and they got killed for actual, you know, storming the Capitol. That's kind of a reason. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a felony, you know what I'm saying? Like, this shit, crazy. It's not going to make us sad like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's also just proof, I mean, I don't know what's going to make people wake up and realize like how people just keep playing on everybody's emotions because like all the right wingers that would have been demeaning black people for vandalizing and looting now are tweeting like vandalizing the capitol building ain't nothing and these are the people with you know fifty thousand followers so it's just proving that they don't have convictions like they would just say whatever the hell will rile up people and I don't know when people are going to realize this and stop going with it like that, but I don't know. This was a combination of a lot of things, and there's some wild shit to watch. Hell yeah. Gotcha. Well, I think oh, and something else I want to... Oh, oh, no, I'm listening. Yeah. No, no, no. What you said? Oh, I was going to say something else. We'll be talking about the timeline. I seen fucking a video of Trippy Red, dumbass, talking about how he paid 20000 for some pants. And it just... It don't make sense. Um... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I seen that and like I got strong views on hip hop and like what it means to our culture and, and what it does to our brains, good and bad. And I man, that this the whole notion of, you know, stunting and the materialism, it drives me nuts in hip hop, man, just because it's like like we the brokers demographic. Yeah, our music is about being rich and the shit don't add up. And it's just it'd be setting us up for failure. It's not realistic. And, you know, like, I'm one of the people where if, if I'm in a room with a whole bunch of black people, I'm not trying to talk about what white people are doing. I'd rather talk about what we can do. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how I look at hip hop, too, where it's like, yeah, I'm not saying hip hop is the reason for our state or our lesser state, however you want to call it. But I strongly think hip hop could help us if we used it better. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, we, I'd be in a room with a whole bunch of black people where, yeah, white people was doing us wrong. But if we were together and we talked about what we could do, maybe those meetings might be more productive. So I'd rather look at hip hop in the same light where I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, I'm not saying that ratchet shit and thug shit should just go away. Like, nah, it's a part of life. It's a part of our culture. I get it. But like balance, can we get some balance? Like the fact that that is our mainstream, that is our just what is our image and just what we learn as what it means to be black 
what kids learn what it means to be black, what white people learn what it means to be black. They look at hip hop, you know what I'm saying? And the shit, I'm not saying that's right and whatever. We can have all these talks on, you know, parenting and who should be role models and blah, blah, blah. We all role models, bottom line. And some people got microphones, some don't. So we need to make sure the ones with microphones actually care about us and got our back, right? And for the past 20 years, it ain't been like that with hip hop, man. It's becoming a joke. Like I heard, I think it was, um, shit, I forgot exactly who said it. I think, uh, Pat, no, nah. damn, I'm gonna try to remember who said it. But he said basically like, we letting hip hop become a joke and the white people are gonna take it over mm-hmm. because- There's no gatekeepers anymore. Because we joking with it and they actually try to be and blah, blah, blah. But I don't even care about that. I don't really listen to white rappers. But the point is, is like, look at Hamilton. You know what I'm saying? Like the play. It's hip hop. That's a hip hop play. And it's probably one of the biggest plays ever, right? Mm-hmm. It's showing you the power of hip hop, right? But they're using it. Like, and now obviously they had a lot of black people in that play. So I ain't knocking nothing. But like, I don't think Lin Manuel, whatever his name is, is black, you know? Right. But he tapped into the power of hip hop and we don't. And it's our own shit. So like, fucking, I'm tired of seeing 20 bands on pants on my timeline. Like, and he was like, I bet you you couldn't do this. Yes, I can. But why? Literally, I can buy 20,000 pants if I wanted to right now. But why would I? Why? Like, I come on now. And cut that shit up. Now what is worth? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I seen that tweet. And I'll be trying to refrain from like going too much in on the hip hop shit just because, I don't know, it turns people off. It drains me, too. Like, if that's all I want to focus on is, like, the issues I see with that. So I don't even try to go into it too much now. But it's always there, man. I always, man, I see it. I see the ill effects of it every day. And I'm just like, yo, like, let's try for a little something better. Just a little better. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's got to go away. I ain't saying I want, like, church rap. But just a little more productive would help. That's it. You know, I really 100% agree with that, like, because I share a similar viewpoint in a way that, like, I've always told people that I feel like basically hip-hop culture or especially, like, the most popular rappers have the ability to change kind of the mood of what people think about stuff. Like, in the more recent times, like, I would really with two examples. So, like, some of the more entrepreneurial rappers coming out now, more people like before he passed Nip, you know, Larry June, like different people like that that are rapping about investing like that. I definitely appreciate that balance, number one. And I feel like there's no coincidence that a lot more people that are liking that music and being exposed to that music are also interested in these same lanes of like entrepreneurship and stuff. Like people try to downplay it and act like it doesn't really affect you. But like the content and the media that you like take in affects you and it like changes your thinking. Like, that was one thing I know we really tried to do with Blackwell Renaissance was show initially videos of popular people, your Meek Mills, your Rick Rosses, like talking about mm-hmm. investing, talking about what they were doing and to right. make it more of a popular thing. And I've always said that, like at the point where it becomes where people are rapping about a black owned watch brand, the same way they rap about paddocks or like yeah. other shit like that that's when we'll be at that point. That's when we'll be at like dang near, you know what I'm saying? Getting to that point mm-hmm. where the mentality of switch once it becomes cool to support black. But I feel like the hip hop scene has the power to make it cool to support black. 
they just it may does. or may not want to do it. Like, <laughs> it's such a frustration, like, watching this, like, man, the same way, like, you rapping about Gucci or Hennessy, you could be rapping about Ace of Spades and some other black brand. Like, that's all I need from you right now. And it could change yeah, exactly. people's mentalities. Like, I definitely but, and it ain't even like they don't want to all the time. Like, they being controlled. Mm, and nice. what pisses me off is that that's why a lot of my criticism is to the fans because I'm a markets guy. I'm supply and demand, right? Like, if we demanded better and we said, nah, I'm good off of that, then they got to give us better, like, bottom line. So, like, that's why I direct most of my criticism at the fans because I'm like, yo, why are y'all accepting this? Is this what you think is dope? You know what I'm saying? And, like... Yeah, everybody got their guilty pleasures. Like, and I, I mean, personally, I'm to the point now where I just can't really listen to, to like, if there's no kind of purpose at all, I can't listen to it at all. Like, straight up, just get it out. But obviously, everybody got their guilty pleasures. So, you know, do what you got to do. But it's just, it's gotten out of control. And the worst part is like, we know it. I think like I have these talks with people and they tell me I'm right, but they don't change anything. They still just go with the status quo and go with, what they say is cool. So, like, it, that's the part that pisses me off the most. It's like, we know. Like, we know. Come on, man. There's no... Our music is all about the worst shit out. You know what I'm saying? Like, why is our music the only... And not that, like, rock don't have professional themes, but they don't prop that up to be, you know, the face of their music. Like, I got white friends. One of them was sharing me this band and they're like a play band. Like, well, not like, I mean, they're a real band, but like they make play. sexual, they, well, no, nah, they make like sexual songs and like joke songs and shit, like, right? And the whole time I'm listening to it, I'm thinking like the fact that they can categorize it and see it as a joke and see it as not, as like, I'm just, I'm only, yeah, I'm only listening to this because I know what it is. It's clownish and I want to laugh real quick. Like, we don't have that mindset for hip-hop, and that drives me crazy. It's like, yo, we know this shit is trash, and we know it's not, like, real. I mean, we know that they're clowning. We know that they're renting this, and we know that they are just propping up the worst stereotypes so that they can get money off our backs, and we just keep going with it, and it's so annoying. It's like the one lady, Jane Lynch or whatever, the lady, I uh, ain't her name, the one white lady that be schooling all the other white people on, like, putting on racism, fascism, and shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She had the exercise where she was like, you know, she was in like the auditorium with all the white people talking about like, if you would want you or your kids to experience the same thing that black people experienced, then stand up. And nobody stood up, right? Like, I guarantee you I could have that exercise with black people to be like, yo, if you actually think the themes of the shit you're listening to is good and you would want your kids listening to it, please stand up. And I bet you they wouldn't stand up. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, we know that it just... We know it's problematic, but we overlook it because it's black people doing it, right? And we feel that, you know, we should support the black people that have success because at the end of the day, they're successful. You know, whether I like it or not, whatever they're talking about, they found success. So the people are going to gravitate to that because it looks like us. It ain't another white man on TV. It's a black person with money. So I get all that. But like, at some point, we got to start having real conversations. And it can't just always be, oh, it's just entertainment. Oh, it's just music. Oh, you need to raise your own kids. Oh, they're not really role models. Like, these cop-outs can't keep being the answers. When oh, my God. 
when we know that like the shit is not constructive, like straight up. And we always get the, well, it ain't making me go kill anybody, blah, blah, blah. But like there are people that are victims to it. Yeah. And obviously that person needs to have personal accountability and should have made better decisions. But at the same time, like we stop trying to act like this trillion. I'm guessing the music industry is a trillion dollar industry, billion, whatever. Stop acting like this huge industry isn't pulling strings and shit, especially when you look at what they're giving us. Like, why are y'all giving us that? And y'all giving the white people Ariana Grande and Miley Cyrus and shit. And then all of our representation is just city girls and and Migos. And you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's favorite rapper is Young Thug. And then they complain that we get portrayed as thugs. This shit don't add up. You know what I mean? Like, it don't add up. So I just want... I'm not blaming hip hop for nothing. I don't, I'm not naive and I'm not, you know, a scapegoat or none of that shit. Like, nah, America's fucked up and it's been fucked up for black people for a long time, which has lended itself to why hip hop is the brainwashing mechanism it's become. Like, let's have real talks and let's, let's not just accept status quo because it's another black person doing it. Let's look for other black people that are actually holding us down. They clown Kendrick and it's like, fuck is wrong with y'all? His whole catalog has been nothing but for us. And y'all want to ask him to tweet about George Floyd. Like, shut the fuck up. Shit is crazy. And you, man, I had to say something. I'm sorry. I said, oh, my God, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But, like, I damn near had a fight with somebody about that role model shit. Like, <laughs> like we were hard down arguing. I agree with you so much because we were hard down arguing because I was talking about, I was using her for an example with something as far as, like, Cardi B. And I think that epitomizes, like, the example of what you were talking about. Like, so, yes, successful. Yes, great selling artists, this, that, and the third. Huh. But it's like, you can't say that it's all for entertainment and all for fun and she's not trying to be a role model. When Joe Biden had a whole sit down with her, it's supposed to be like a representative <laughs> of Black people. It's like, bro, right. they didn't go and talk to Eminem as a representative of white people. Like, right. they went and found somebody that they actually, res- you know, and I hate to put it this way, but respected of their culture that knew what they were talking about. Not to say that Cardi B doesn't, but it's like, she say she's not a politician. She say she's not that, you know, that vibe. So it's like, why was that even the person that you went to if you weren't trying to take advantage of people? Because they know. That's that's the main cop out people go to. Oh, they're not role models. Oh, it's just entertainment. This and third. It's like, well, then why are we still propping these people up to be our representative? And you can't keep saying that when... (laughs) Our whole timeline is nothing about what this rapper did or what this rapper's girlfriend did. It's like, yeah, I'll be trying to say they're not important, yet they dictate your life. So which one is it? You know what I'm saying? It's it's annoying. And we have a special issue with it because Black culture and hip-hop culture are so close. You know what I mean? It's not just music with us. It is not. And I hate when people try to say that shit. It's the most annoying, like, cop-out in the world. It's just music. Like, no, it's not, man. We listen to hours a day is what we talk about with our friends it's how we dress it's how we talk it's what is the trend at the time like it stop with the it's just music thing man and that just takes away the power of music like i always tell people you know music is natural music is a natural thing right like there's people out in the middle of nowhere you know tribes in africa that make music with sticks and stuff right like that is nature so like That's why we love music so much. Babies dance and babies don't know what music is, but they dance, right? Because their natural feeling 
is to dance to that natural music. So stop with that. It's just music shit. Like, no, it was one of the most powerful things we have. And all we talk about is guns and bitches and shit. And it ain't getting us nowhere. And again, that's not to say I want hip hop to be just all Kendricks or just like all educational and and all Nas and like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, shit, can we get a little more Kendricks? Like, can I get get one or or two more Kendricks, please? Can I get another Cole? You know what I mean? Like, just give me a couple of them. I just, a little bit of balance would help. But yeah, I mean, trust me, I had to talk a lot. A really frustrating thing is people tell me I'm right and they nod their head and they agree. And then they go home and play the same shit. And there's just no accountability with it. Like, really what happened for me was, and I mean, it's ironic because I don't have kids yet. But, like, when I was 20, I started on this path of, like, because I was all about Lil Wayne and all about the whatever everybody was about, right? And then I played the drums. Like, I love music. Music is a big part of my life. So I started to take notice of what I was listening to. And I was like, yo, how can I have my future kid love music as much as I do if I can't even play my music for him or her, right? And this was like early 20s. That realization like just changed everything for me where I was like, all right, let's build a catalog that I could be more proud of. And it changed everything. And it really, I mean, like straight up, if it wasn't for Nipsey, I wouldn't be here talking with y'all right now. Nipsey motivated me like crazy to go down the investor path, go down the entrepreneur path. Pulled up to work one day, right on the line when he was said, I'll be damned if I slave for these white crackers. Right, right when I pulled up to work, and I was like, man, God damn, right? Like, it just it hit. And just everything. Full transparency, I wasn't the biggest Nipsey fan because of my, like, anti-ratchet views. Early years ago, Nipsey was a little too rough for me, straight up. But I feel like he kind of grew at the same time, and his lyrics matured a little bit. And then by the time I got into him, I was in this net worth mindset. So it was like the perfect marriage. I became like the biggest Nipsey fan out of nowhere. Now I know his catalog and everything. I went back. But like, yeah, I want to be full 100 on that because I ain't trying to act like I was a day one or nothing like that. But the point is, is like, even just in that little time that I had with him, he changed my life. And he's a rapper that makes music. So like, stop with the, it's just music thing. Like, it's not just music. There's a lot to it. And we got to start valuing that shit. Or, I don't know, man, we're not going to have it no more. It's going to be a straight joke. Hip-hop is going to be a straight joke if we keep letting it go down this path. Straight up, I retweeted the joint yesterday where Rap Genius or whatever just puts mumbles in the lyrics line. Like, that's where we at now. You don't even got a rap to be a rapper. And that shit is crazy to me. I don't know. Damn, I didn't know they was just putting the mumbles. They just put straight mumbles, bro. It was on the Corvette. Some people do just mumble. Like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they literally, bro. That's just what they do. It was the Corvette, Corvette. It was that track. And you know, you know, he mumbling in that joint. But yeah, I mean, trust me, I could talk for the next 48 hours on this subject. But yeah, I mean, I just always, I just challenge people, look, when you hit play on something, just actually think about what you're listening to. It's a famous clip that I regularly share from Tupac when he was like, you know, these people say they real, these people say they got your back, but listen to their lyrics. Listen to what they saying. Does that sound real to you? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a famous Tupac clip, and I play that joint often because it's so true. And so I'll send that joint to you. I'm pretty sure I tweeted it while back but i'll send that joint to you straight up because 
It's facts, man. Like I just challenge people just just think about what you listen to. When you press play, challenge yourself to actually listen to the words and just think about the next generation. Like for real. Like we are all role models. It ain't just the rappers that's role models. We are all role models. We all got a responsibility on this earth to 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 do what you think is right. Now some people think that is, you know, the wrong path. So I can't hold people's hands. I can't tell them how to think. But I think we are all role models. You feel me? So like, yeah, Kendrick said, who need a hero? You need a hero. Look in the mirror. There go your hero. So that's key. You know what I mean? Like we are all role models. We are all heroes out here. And just because the rappers don't value their platform doesn't mean we should devalue the importance of our support for certain platforms. Hey, man. Hey, that's real. Adrian, I want to say thank you for coming on to this show, my brother. Thank you for no spending doubt. this time with us, educating us on your experiences, this blockchain. And just for anyone who out there who would like to follow up with you, maybe uh, follow you on Twitter or whatever, can you just plug yourself in and just let them know where they can follow you at on all platforms? Yeah, no doubt. Twitter and Instagram, I got to get better on Instagram. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm more of a words person, not pictures. So I'll be more on Twitter, but it's at mixed underscore underscore money. So two underscores. Um, like he said, financial philosopher on Twitter too. And I'm also, I got a website up, but the full launch is going down January 15th. So whenever this podcast launches, it should already be out. But the website is www.maxyournetworth.com. And basically what I do is, like the first course that's being published as the full launch is basically like an accounting and bookkeeping crash course. So I try to summarize what I learned in like my first one, two years of accounting in a 15 lesson online course for personal finance, because we learned accounting from the business standpoint, and it can be kind of confusing for people on that abstract level. But my goal is to teach you those business concepts, but for personal finance. So you can think about finances the way I do, the way accountants do. So you can think about your balance sheet. So you can think about your net worth. So you can think about bookkeeping and what's happening as you make transactions. Because I just think, you know, maturing in my 20s with accountant mindset uh, really helped me a lot. And, you know, I had a different understanding of money than most. Um, so, yeah, that website's going to be up. That's going to be big. And I'm going to have regular posts on that pretty much to try and help people maximize their net worth as the website says. Yeah, so Twitter, Instagram, mixed underscore underscore money, and then maxyournetworth.com. Hey, I love it. Y'all definitely, definitely tap in. We'll have website in the show notes. Once again, my brother, I just want to say thank you for coming on, doing this podcast. You told me this was your first one. You killed this shit. I enjoyed it, man. <laughs> Appreciate so, that. And before we get out of here, I just want to get into some house cleaning. I want to say thank you yeah. to all of our followers, our listeners for coming in week in, week out. If this is your very first show, I want to say welcome to the family. And I hope you just stay with us for the ride because we got a lot of things planned out. If you are a continued listener, I want to say thank you for constantly rocking with us. Thank you for helping us grow. We've been passing up some astronomical numbers. Finally hit a million downloads. So thank y'all to okay. everybody who helped us reach this point. In 2021, we got some great things planned out for you guys. We will be releasing access to our community really soon, where you'll be able to start talking to like-minded individuals. We got that coming out. And y'all, purchase our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. 
get our credit course so you can learn and understand the fundamentals of credit. This isn't just credit repair. This is actually understanding the system of credit and understanding how these things work. Also get the course, the podcaster's playbook. If you like what you listen to, if you like some of the things that we're doing, I'm giving away all the game, all the gems into everything that we do behind the scenes to make this show come together so y'all can tap into that course and be on the lookout for everything else that we have planned out. Jerry, what you got? Man, like he said, just check out all that stuff that he just mentioned. Definitely be on the lookout for the access to that community. We're going to be trying to get a community of like-minded individuals that are going to be able to share resources and everything together. As far as this episode, I'm really happy that we were able to speak with you today, my brother. I've been a big fan from your uh, Twitter and everything. Like I said, that man got some great tweets. Y'all go follow him. Yeah. And thank you for all the gems and stuff that you dropped today about the cryptocurrency. I was actually able to go ahead and like buy me some Bitcoin. Right. I definitely didn't even know how that worked. Yeah, no, nah, hey, hey, while on the pot, I ain't gonna lie to y'all. While I was looking out, I definitely went and caught me some Bitcoin because I didn't know how. But the man yeah, just explained that. it so regular. Like <laughs> he explained it so simply on the pot. I had to. I'm sorry. I had a little money in my cash app. I went and got it done. But either way, (laughs) either way, shout out to you, my brother. And thank you for all the information. No doubt. I appreciate y'all for not only having me, but for having the platform, period. You know, it's important that each one reach one. Like I told you, my uh, Dr. Wood, the black accountant at Tech, that's all she was about was like, hey, we got to each one reach one. We got to lift each other up. So it's important that we have these kind of platforms that's putting out that info that we too often thought wasn't for us and that we ain't worthy of and oh no anti-capitalism and all that i like you know we need these kind of platforms spreading the knowledge so that we can come up that's where the power is you know what i'm saying it's in the money it ain't in it is in the protest i ain't trying to say that we definitely got to keep the protest going but we got to own and that's bottom line so i appreciate y'all for you know this platform and keeping it going and having me and having everybody else for sure Thank you, bro. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Well, until next time, y'all, thank y'all for kicking with us. This is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.